In the New Testament, we find 13 letters written by St. Paul. Most of them were addressed to whole groups of people, all the Christians at Rome, all the Christians in Ephesus, Galatia, Thessalonica. But in this case, in the second reading today, where Paul writes just to Philemon, we have one of three letters that he wrote to individuals. There are the two letters to the young bishop in Cyprus, Timothy, and then in this case, Philemon. And this letter is about Onesimus. Paul has given this letter to Onesimus and told him to hand deliver it. And what is at issue here? Philemon was a Christian, but he was also a slave owner. Onesimus was his possession. Onesimus was a pagan slave and Philemon's property. The letter doesn't explain to us how Onesimus escaped his master, but he ends up with Paul in Ephesus, present-day Turkey. And while listening to Paul preaching and teaching, Onesimus decides, I no longer want to have Philemon as my master. I believe in a greater master, the God of Jesus Christ. Paul brings Onesimus into the faith. And now Paul is imprisoned. He would be imprisoned three times during the 20 years of his apostolic ministry. And this is the year 56. He is under house arrest at Ephesus. And while he is held captive, Onesimus becomes his hands and feet going out into the communities to make sure that his letters and well wishes get delivered and that the work of building the church continues even though he is restrained from doing it himself. He loves Onesimus like a son and now he wants to ask Philemon to let him go, to set him free so that he doesn't have to return there. But you can imagine with what shaking hands Onesimus takes this letter and makes his way back to his former master because he could fully expect this man will hold me captive once again. Paul believes that Philemon has to give Onesimus a second look. When he last saw Onesimus, he looked upon Onesimus as less than human, just property, something to be ordered around and beaten. But now Paul is telling Philemon, you must no longer look upon him as a slave and not just as a friend, but as your brother in Christ. Extraordinary sentiments coming from Paul because he used to be a Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus. And as a Pharisee, he would have believed that there was a very, very long social ladder. He and the other Pharisees were at the top. The other Jewish religious authorities were underneath them. All the rest of the Jewish people were below that. But anybody who wasn't Jewish, a pagan, a Gentile, or God forbid, a slave, they were beneath the bottom rung. Everywhere that the Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, would have looked, he would have seen things that are different, things that divide. And now this shows the complete transformation that the Christian faith has brought to this murderer now that he has become a missionary. Some people have criticized Paul that he didn't write Philemon and say, set all the slaves free. Why just Onesimus? But what they fail to understand is that Paul believed so much that Jesus Christ, who had ascended and promised to come back again, was returning in his own lifetime, he didn't think it was worth wasting any time meddling in the affairs of men and the reform of human institutions because they were all going to be erased anyway when Christ came back in glory. And thus it was that he didn't approve of slavery and he was in fact seeking the freedom of a slave. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, Paul said, In Christ there is no slave or free, Jew or Greek. He who once is a Pharisee only saw the things that divide us and the things that make us different now believes that in Christ all of us are sons and daughters of God. All of us are brothers and sisters thanks to Jesus. 
And Philemon receives Onesimus and his letter and Paul's request, and he does voluntarily give the slave his freedom because he, like Paul, is looking at Onesimus through the new eyes of faith. He can't treat him as a slave or as property or as possession. He must recognize his human dignity. And that's what Christians are always called upon to do instead of using each other for our own purposes and pleasure. We are to look upon each other as one in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God. In the gospel today, Jesus strikes a different tone than we are familiar with. Usually we find him meek and mild and friendly, loving the little children and blessing them. But here he's telling us that you need to hate your parents, you need to hate your siblings, you have to hate your children, or you cannot be his disciple. Inasmuch as this stands completely in contrast to most of what he says, we heard something eerily familiar from Jesus' own mouth three Sundays ago on August the 14th, the 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time, the 12th chapter of Luke, when Jesus said he came to throw fire on the earth, he came to bring not peace but division, and that he was going to turn the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, and he was going to have the father and the son fighting with each other. These are two sides of the same coin. At that time, he was urging people they have to love God more than these other human relationships, and now he's finding a negative way of stating the same thing. But one thing we encounter here are the limitations of language and vocabulary. English arguably has more words than any other language in the history of the world, more than one million words in our dictionary. Hebrew, on the other hand, that Jesus was speaking in Judah and Israel of 20 centuries ago, 50,000 words. English, a million? Hebrew 50,000. Whereas we can find 20 different ways of saying one thing, like describing the weather, how we feel, how we look. In Hebrew, you had to find one word that could mean as many as 20 different things. That is where this definition of hatred becomes so important. In Hebrew, the word was sane, and how that would translate in English is not wishing ill upon someone or wanting to destroy them, but rather preferring one thing over another. And that is the context in the scripture. We find further evidence of it in another short book in the Bible, Malachi, the end of the Old Testament. In Malachi verse 1, chapter 1, we find God saying, I love Jacob. I hate Esau. God, I love Jacob. I hate Esau. God didn't wish anything bad to happen to Esau, but because the kingship, the birthright, and the dynasty were going to Jacob, Somehow he must have preferred the younger son over Esau, the older one. He just preferred one over the other. And that's what Jesus is saying in the gospel. Whoever prefers their mother more than me, whoever prefers their father more than me, whoever prefers their own life more than me is not worthy of me and cannot be my disciple. The less we think that Jesus was trying to hog and to hoard all the love the world had to give, he knows he is God. And the Israelites who believe that he is God would have had to treat him with the same respect they were supposed to have for God the Father, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Him alone shall you serve with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus believes that everyone must love God before, above, and beyond all things. And only when that love is first and foremost, only when that love is strong, only when that love is right will any other love truly be love it becomes the blessing from which all other love relationships flow the love that we have for our parents spouses for each other parents for their children children for their parents all of it is because we love god 
All of it is because we know God loves us and we are striving to find God and to love God and to serve God in one another. In this gospel, Jesus is getting closer to the cross and he's calculating the cost of discipleship. That's why he talks about building a tower, raising an army. Don't do it if you're not willing to be all in for success and victory. For Jesus, the total cost of discipleship was everything. When he went under that cross, it was going to be every ounce of his blood, bone in his body. He was giving it all for the love of sinners like me and you. And he wanted the apostles and his disciples to do the same. That's why 10 of the 12 apostles didn't just leave everything in the boat. They were going to be martyrs for the faith. That's why 25 of the first 31 popes of the Roman Catholic Church are martyrs for the faith, along with so many other saints throughout the ages. And they considered it a small price to pay because of the greater reward that awaits them in the kingdom of heaven. So let's remind ourselves, in a world that is so filled with hatred and not the Hebrew definition of it, God isn't telling us to hate anyone. God doesn't hate anyone. God loves everyone and everything because he made everyone and everything and sent Jesus to save all the same. He just wants us to love him more because he loves us more. And once we have that love down pat, it will become easier for us to love, to honor, to serve, and forgive each other.